it, and then move on to uh, another topic. Today is going to be a little bit topical a little later on today. Um, if you still have your papers from last week, that's awesome. If you don't, uh, I can have somebody run and make a copy for you. What's that? Probably over there. So, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 13. Well, we'd be starting on the back side of the page. And so, uh, we'll be in verses 11 through 14. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you again for today, and I thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray today, my simple prayer today is that we let your word change us, that we give you that freedom and that permission, and Lord, that we make you, uh, that you are Lord of our lives. And so as things in the scripture are revealed to us, uh, Lord, we step into those things uh, without fear or favor. And I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, last week, um, we just to kind of recap, you know, we, I had asked the question, was the things that Paul was attempting or wanting to accomplish within the Corinthians church, um, was it accomplished? And the short answer is yes, and we see that in the last chapter of Romans, where he describes um, that his work there is finished. Uh, during his three-month stay in his, uh, I think it's his second trip to Corinth. Um, and so he, he gives the assurance um, that the work was accomplished, that God is pleased that, that the, uh, um, he's able to move on to the next task that the Lord has for him. So if we just read verses 11 through 14 again, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full, full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And so we had researched and did the study on, chat, on verse 11. Um, today, in verse 12, he describes greeting one another with a holy kiss. Um, what's that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I used, to, I used to walk around the church and, and tell people, uh, just to freak them out a little bit, you know, I used to tell them, it says greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, and then I would just stand there and people would get really uneasy around me, you know. So it's like, no, 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 we're not, we're not going to do that. Um, but the kiss of mutual respect and love in the Lord was, was uh, it was the public practice of early Christians. And so um, this comes from a practice that was customary uh, in the ancient East, and this practice may have been used in the first century A.D. synagogue. So uh, it would be natural f 
for people to greet one another like that. It was, it was a common thing. It would be similar to, you know, us coming up and giving a handshake and a hug or an embrace to brothers and sisters and family, mem family members and things like that. Uh, brothers and sisters in Christ as well who were, who were a part of the same body of believers. So um, according to Justin Martyr in 150 AD, it would have been natural for the practice to have been continued into the early Jewish and Gentile churches. Um, and this tells us uh, that the Holy Kiss was a regular part of worship service in its day. So as we, like we've done in the last few Sundays, we walk around and we greet each other before the message and things like that, it would have been natural for them to come up and give each other a kiss on the cheek or something like that. It would have been an acceptable form of, of a, uh, a genuine uh, love-type, brotherly love and respect-type greeting. What do I think about that today? Um, with the culture that we live in on homosexuality and things like that, I would say it's absolutely unacceptable. And, and unacceptable for our culture, okay? So now if we lived somewhere where the culture accepted that as a, as a, a respectful greeting and behavior, absolutely. And that would be difficult if I were to go to one of those countries. Uh, and just to give you an example, um, several years ago we went to Mexico on a mission trip um, and, and earlier that year I had gotten an earring and I was told if you show up with the earring in your ear the men will not respect you because it's a it's a cultural um, what's that? Taboo. Well not, not taboo but they would consider a man with an earring as probably being more feminine than any, and no matter which, no matter what the U.S. culture said about it, their culture is as if you're a man and you have that kind of jewelry, mm -mm, stay away from me. You know, they, yeah, so it was kind of taboo. Um, and so, no, and I would say the same thing. Exactly. Men to man or, or women and men. Um, right. So in our culture, um, not only is homosexuality uh, a, a widely accepted thing, um, so is fornication. Right. 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 So, so the optics of it, even if, even if it was completely innocent within the body of believers, the optics of it to the people around us are going to be questionable. They're going to be skeptical about that. Um, and it's going to naturally make people uncomfortable around not only just the people here, but all Christians, period. And so I don't say that, you know, you read this and say, okay, every Christian has to greet each other with a holy kiss. But what you do need to, what we do need to do is we need to greet each other with the same respect and the same love toward each other that he's describing to the Corinthian people here, 100%. Yes? Yeah, so he, every time Paul goes into a, a community, a city, 
he always looks around and he does a little bit of research on what their culture is. Jesus Christ always adhered to the culture and the law. Yeah. You know what, you know what I mean? He, yeah. He hung, he hung people with leprosy. Right. We, so I'm, I'm not saying everybody here is like COVID-19. It's like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Right. So the question, the question that revolves around this whole thing is, is this going to advance the gospel or is it going to hinder the gospel from going forward? So you see Jesus going into communities and associating with people that was against the law. Every single time that he stepped into that arena, there was somebody there that was going to follow him as a result. If there was no one that was going to follow him as a result of him stepping in and breaking the law, the, the cultural law, he didn't go there. He stayed away from it. And so, yeah, that's why I, I look at, you know, I think, just outside from the outside looking in observing when jesus went to nazareth i picture the disciples going yeah we're going back to where jesus grew up we're going to meet the people that he hung out with when he was younger and this and that that's gonna be so awesome and they get there and jesus says he was unable to do a number of things because he knew that it was never going to produce a following of god and so, you know, can you mix, imagine the mixed emotions with the disciples? They're like, wow, this wasn't exactly what I expected. Uh, and so, but yeah. Like right. So he goes, you know, he goes and he meets the woman at the well, you know, in a place that is, no Jew should even be here. What are we doing here? And because he meets with this woman and she listens and she hears and understand this man is the Messiah. Now she no longer cares what everybody in town thinks of her. All she cares about is that they get out to the well to meet this guy. And so she goes and she tells them the Messiah is standing at the well right now. Yes? And who digs that well? That's a, that's a good question. How far does it go back? She said, yeah, she says the, our ancestors put this well here. She's telling Jesus, hey, did you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> and Jesus is going, yeah, I told them to do that. <laughs> right, right, right. So she knows the story and she also knows her position in the culture. And she also knows not only that, she's been a fornicator for years. So she's, she already knows enough about the, you know, the, the, the Old Testament scriptures and she knows her own life. She knows, and, and when Jesus starts telling her about all the things that she's done, and he tells her, I am the one who can purify you from that. Wow. She don't care what anybody thinks now. She wants everybody she knows to meet him. And it's an instant change. So any, any of time you think that a new believer can't evangelize, because they don't know enough to, about the scripture. If their transformation is a result of a love for Jesus and a love for truth and an understanding of what he's brought me out of, 
what he's brought me into, you can use that. And you can share the gospel with somebody. Yes? Yeah. Right. 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 Because uh, there, that's a good question. There is a. Let me let me take you to. Um, <clears throat> I have to Google it because I don't remember exactly where it's at. Avoid the appearance of evil. So if you look at 1 Thessalonians 5, First Thessalonians chapter 5, and this is, this is one of few verses that I like what the King James, how the King James words it. Um, And we'll start in verse 19. Um, It says, Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all and hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. In verse 22. And uh, verse 23 and 24, May God himself... The God of peace sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So if you look at pastors and teachers who have fallen to immorality, what has happened around them that, when that happens? They go, they're in a room together with a person of the opposite sex by themselves and there is there is temptation there is and and you know people can look at one another go well how can be tempted you know by that person or this person it don't matter it can happen to anybody so if you look at historically if you look at um billy graham there would be organizations that would try and set billy graham up for failure Okay, and they would do that by taking and putting a prostitute in his hotel room before he came back to his hotel. And so he had people um, that would, when he would go to check into his motel, he had a group of people, not just one or two people, a group of people would go and they would check the room to make sure that there was nothing in there so that he didn't walk into a room and then somebody passed down the hall and see Billy Graham in a room with a naked woman. Okay? Just guardrails. And people would go to extremes. Um, there was a Christian singer, he's passed away, but years ago, he would go and he would do concerts and he would do, um, you know, these rallies and things like that and he would preach the gospel and he would go back to his room and he would sit down and HBO would be 
on the TV, not, he, not turned on, but it would be there. And he went to his mentor one time and he says, I don't understand. I keep struggling and struggling and struggling with this temptation. He wasn't married. He didn't, you know. Uh, and he said, why do I keep struggling like this? And he says, well, number one, he says, you're not supposed to be traveling alone. You're not supposed to be traveling alone. You're not supposed to. And I had a pastor in a church that we used to go to that would go to. And he came to me one time and he says, will you go with me? I don't want to be left in the hotel room by myself with that TV. I'm like, wow. And, and, it, and I knew that. I mean, I, I, I could relate to that because, of, you know, men have temptations. And when men are left alone, uh, and not every man is the same as I am, but it might be something different. Other, you know, some men can't go to a car dealership by themselves. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? <laughs> you look around at that car, you go, wow, I need a new car. I need that. You know? Um, so, so it's not that it's the same for everybody, but I know we're getting a little off subject here, but in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 22, the wording in the Greek language is, if it looks like evil, stay away from it. Avoid the appearance of something that is evil. So if Larry gets in the car with another woman, whether she's a godly woman from the church, from the world, wherever, he gets in the car and he goes somewhere and they walk inside, the world is going to talk. Right. 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 Exactly. Right. Right. And so that's and that and that leads into the importance of some of the things that we're doing with the workshop on Wednesday night is to connect you with another woman who you can confide in so that you're not left in in a position and you're going who can I talk to who's available today now you've made that connection with another woman that you can go to that woman and it's and there's not anything that's going to be said to malign the gospel to malign the truth and so you hear Jim say the God the the Bible is a book of preventatives not uh, remedies okay well some people are looking at it and go, well Jesus is the remedy for everything. what that's that's true but if you don't have the guardrails established before the trial comes, most of the time the trial is going to end in failure. And so you step into something ahead of time, and I think it's so cool that Jesus can already see what's going to happen next week, and usually something is said on Sunday morning that's going to help you for what's to come. And a lot of times we'll look at it and go, well, I don't struggle with that right now. And then all of a sudden, five days later, we find ourselves in a situation where we're going, Thank you, Lord, because you put it in my heart and in my mind ahead of time. So that's why I, I always consider it so important to be in every teaching arena that you can be in to allow God to put you, put those things in your heart, put those things in your mind to, to prepare you. 
Sometimes it, pre <laughs> it prepares you, and the devil goes, oh, no, no, you don't. Let's try this. Could you throw something else at you to try and get you off track? Oh, you know? <laughs> you know? And so, and those are the things that happen. And sometimes you can look at those things if we're, if we're kind of prepared or if we have somebody walking alongside of us. We can look at those things and we can say, you're moving closer to God. The devil doesn't like that. So this is what's happening. And it's not that you've, you've been a bad person or anything like that. But all of a sudden there's just an overwhelming struggle inside and, and the devil or demons or however, you know, however it is, there, there's, there's another attack that comes to try and distract you from, from walking closer with the Lord. So Paul and Peter, um, both the, the, the verses that you see there, those are just passages that, um, that you can go to to see where Paul is saying, make sure you greet the brothers and sisters with that kind of respect, with that kind of uh, love, with that kind of joy. Um, and so when we get into, I don't know if that answers your question. It's probably more than what you needed. Um, but it is important to, to look at that and say, what is going to be culturally relevant that is also going to praise and glorify the Lord, uh, that's going to elevate Jesus Christ, and that's going to make the gospel message more clear? And contribute to that. So in verse 13, Paul says, All God's people here send their greetings. And so it, it's important to recognize when he writes that, where is he? Uh, no, he's actually on his way to Corinth. He left Ephesus and he's passing through Macedonia. So the people in Thessalonica, people in Philippi, he's gone through, they've given him the gifts, and, he's sa and they're saying, Hey, tell the people in Corinth we're praying for them. Tell them we love them. Tell them that we are desiring to see them continue to grow. And, and we wish we could just all pile in the van and go with you and, and just go and give them a hug and, and, and encourage them to be faithful and stay true. So um, that's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and 8 where he's describing. You don't have to go there, but you can read through those two chapters and he's describing that when he came to Macedonia, Titus shows up. Titus has got a good report about what's going on. They still haven't collected um, their gifts to go back to Jerusalem yet, but he's sending Titus back to them to get that ball rolling and get that started. Um, and so, you know, the struggle that Paul, Paul's having is he's going, man, I, I just hope they listen. I hope they, I hope they give... Uh, cheerfully. I hope they, they step into things that seem uh, a little strange to their culture, to their nature, but are true. Um, and so that's his desire. So in verse 14, um, you'll see on your paper, the benediction is Trinitarian in form. So he's, he's describing the Trinity to them. Uh, and it has ever since, it's been a part of Christian worship tradition. So he invokes the blessing of the triune God so that the grace manifested by Christ, the love expressed by God the Father, and the fellowship created by the Holy Spirit might be experienced in Corinth. And this type of conclusion is found in almost all of Paul's letters. The only one that doesn't, 
that doesn't include a benediction like this is Ephesians. Um, and you'll see there the Old Testament counterpart is the Emmanuel theme, or God with us. Okay, so in, in the Old Testament, you often see, excuse me, you often see a benediction or a, a, a greeting, a salutation that is expressed by God with us. So, um, anyway, that's the end of 2 Corinthians. Uh, I did have something else I wanted to go into today, though. And uh, I have another piece of paper, and I don't anticipate we'll get all the way through it. But uh, I've, in my personal study, I've been looking into uh, Titus chapter 1. There's one particular verse, and uh, I've got some notes on it. If you want one, you can have one. If you don't, that's okay. If you want something to doodle on the back side of the page, uh, you can. <laughs> Feel free. I think I got enough for everybody. I'm not sure. You want one, both of you? Um, yeah, these are handwritten because my computer decided to not function this week, and so I had to I had to exercise my fingers again um, to start writing. But uh, you'll see in Titus chapter one, verse twelve. Um, and this is kind of, and you could say it might be a little bit of a play on, on what we're talking about on Wednesday nights. Um, but it's just something that the Lord's been dealing with me personally on, and I just wanted to share it with you guys. If you look at Titus 1, verse 12, it says, One of Crete's own philosophers has said it. Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. In the next verse, he says, this saying is true, therefore rebuke them sharply so that they will be sound in the faith. And I'm going to stop right there. This saying is from the Greek philosopher Epimenides. Ah, I had it down early. Epimenides, thank you. I sat there and I practiced that word for a few times, and now I still messed it up. But anyway, in Greek literature, they used an expression called to Christianize. And that means to lie. So if, if, you're, if you're of my age or, or probably a little older, maybe a little younger, if I said to you the expression, they're going postal, where would your mind go? Going postal. <laughs> you have hatred. What's that? They're going to fly off the handle. So in 1986... There were U.S. Post Office workers that were coming into work and shooting and killing people. Uh, they were killing their co-workers. There was, it seemed like there, um, for a little while, there were several workers that had anger management issues, and they were not only killing co-workers, but sometimes civilians. Um, what the point I'm making with that is that the Cretans were such liars that there was a, an expression that to Christianize, that was an insult. That was, that was, you were, huh, you didn't want to be called that. Um, and so this, this became a proverb that Christians are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gut, gluttons. And it emphasized the low reputation of, of the Christian people generally. And so the reason why I bring that up is because these three questions came to my mind as I read through that is, 
what is said about me? Okay, and starting with that first question, I'm not going to pick on anybody, but if I were to ask, what would you say about me? Would you be brutally honest to me face-to-face in a group setting? (laughs) Yeah, it depends on who you're talking to. And so, but, and, and what I'm leading up to is, what I'm leading up to is, what led to that kind of relationship where you and I would be that way? Okay, discipleship, getting to know each other, connecting regularly. Um, and so when, when Paul is talking to Titus about this, he's talking about, he's not talking about outside the body, what people are saying about the people inside the body. He's talking not just that, I should say, but he's talking about it as a whole, inside the body and outside the body. So the, the culture has impacted the church. Okay, and so if you go back a few verses in chapter 1, he, he go back to verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And then he goes on to give the, the descriptions of what an elder is to be like. So in other words, it's not just put people in charge, but in other words, find people that are living their lives this way Put them in charge, and when you get down to verse 8, they must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. In verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message at his, as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. So in other words, they don't know, not only do they have to lead by example, by how they live, but they also need to handle the scripture in a way to go to people to, to help motivate them to step into things that are uncomfortable that the God's word tells us to do. And so when we read through that, what is said about me will eventually change what happens and what is said about Christ's church. And then if things continue to move in that direction, what is said about Christians as a whole in your culture, in your nation, in your county, in your city is going to change as well. So what do people say today in our culture about Christianity? Okay. It's a lie. It does, God doesn't change anybody. Anything else? Okay. Right. And I would agree with those statements. And so the next question would be, how did it get to be that way? I go back farther than that. Can't blame the government. They've always been evil. (laughs) And we know that. Okay. So it goes back to, you say parents didn't teach their children. If you go back to Deuteronomy 6, he says teach your children, but it has to be demonstrated in your life. And so at each generation, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, each generation takes another little step backwards and another little step backwards and another little step backwards to now the label Christianity is put on anybody who attends church three days, three times a a month, you know, or less. Yeah. And so the, the, 
the standard of following Christ continues to be lower and lower and lower. And we see that even in our educational system. You know, if, if most of the kids in the educational system fall just below the average, what happens? What usually happens? They start lowering the bar. Why? Because we want the self-esteem to go up. And, and so it's the same thing with Christianity. And that's not the case every time as far as the educational system goes. But if you look at countries that are excelling technologically, it's because mom and dad are, are sacrificing everything for their children's education. And we rarely see that kind of sacrifice for our children's spiritual growth in the, in the North American churches. Right. And it becomes easy to say, you know what, you're going to go to church so that you can learn about Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, no, their primary are children's. And, and Dave Mannion is number one guilty on this. Dave Mannion should have been teaching and reading. And I tell Nico all the time, man, get your Bible, read to Isabella. <laughs> you know, sing, Jesus loves me uh, with her, you know, and do those things. Not because, well, you need to do this, but because my desire is, Man, when she gets to be where she can talk and she goes to school and somebody tells her something about evolution or about this or that, she can go, that don't sound right. She may not have the perfect answer, but then she can go home and she go, Mom, Dad, they told me this at school today. And then there's an interaction, there's a dialogue where you can go into the scripture and you can say, this is what God says and this is what we believe. Yeah. Yeah, you can't turn back time, but what you can, what you can do is give a, a clear uh, change, you know, that's obvious. Right. Right. So if, right, so when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, if you, if you aspire to be an overseer, you aspire a noble task. And then he gives a list of the of the you know the responsibilities and the credentials it's not that you look at those and go okay i need to do this this and this but what you do is your walk with the lord becomes such a a, a vital part of your daily life that you love christ so much those things become byproducts of your of your relationship your desire to study the word your hunger for and all of a sudden, now, when, when you, you read something, and then all of a sudden you see a neighbor that has a need, it's easy to go, I need to help them. You know, and it's easy to, to step into things that you might need, might be uncomfortable doing previously, because it's the love of Christ that's just overflowing, it's coming out. What's that? Yeah, and don't expect anything in return. Because, why? Because your, your, your mindset, the transformation by the renewing of your mind is now, you know what, whatever I sacrifice, this is, this is nothing. You know, your attitude becomes more like Paul where he says everything that I've aspired for is rubbish. You know? Right. And that's, I think that's something that's becoming more and more difficult to overcome um, is a selfish motivation and attitude. 
So if we look at 1 Timothy 4.16, 1 Timothy 4.16, we'll just look at these passages real quickly. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What's the command here to my hearers? What's the question I want to ask is, what is the command to my hearers? <laughs> so, so what is... So how can I save my peers? The first thing that has to happen is my relationship right here has to be right. It doesn't matter what I say to those people, if, to anybody around me. It doesn't matter what I say to my family members. If this relationship is not on the right path, then my, then my testimony, what I say to the people around me, is not going to be impactful. Right. So he says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. He's not saying go out and tell everybody what to do. He's not saying go take the Bible and, and, and preach it you know, to everybody. He does say earlier, um, yeah, I'm sorry, it's after, it's after this actually. It's in his next letter. He says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. The prerequisite is my life has to be right first. So that doesn't mean that you are uh, disqualified completely, but the gospel message, the testimony, becomes more, more effective when we become more obedient. As we continue to grow in our relationship, the gospel message going out from us becomes increasingly effective. That doesn't mean that people just, all right, now I'm living right and people are getting saved. No, that's not, that's not the way it goes. People are, I'm living, if God's looking at our lives and we're living right, the gospel message is accurately happening. Some are getting saved and some are getting severely ticked off at you. Because you're saying, okay, this is the right way to live. And now the mirror is up on what sin is and what righteousness is. And it's not that it's me, but Paul says it's Christ. And when Christ is... The, the standard, then all of a sudden, things have to change around that person. Yeah, somebody had their hand up. Yeah. We're so fast to judge, though, when the person falls. I mean, we'll, we'll, they can do a hundred things right, and then if right. they fall, they'll oh. Right, because, because the world loves the darkness, and so if someone is living righteously, yeah, I would agree with that. If I, if I say to anybody that that has heard anything out of the Bible in the Old Testament, if I mention King David, what's the first thing that everybody knows about? That's Sheba. Yeah, they don't, they don't know that David was a, God, a man after God's own heart. They don't know all of the things that he did. They don't know uh, when the ark was being brought into the, the town I love this story just because it's, it's just weird. It's just an interesting story that David danced so vigorously. What happened? <laughs> his clothes came off. He was dancing naked before the ark of the Lord. And his wife was like, what's the matter with you? But his, 
his attitude, <laughs> Wayne, Wayne's a little embarrassed. <laughs> it says he was disrobed because he was so excited. There was just so much enthusiasm because the ark of the covenant was coming to his town. And they would move it just a little ways and then they would stop and they would praise the Lord. They would worship and they'd move it a little farther. And uh, anyway, we automatically, we don't think about that and the, the passion that he had for the Lord. When you mention David's name, he, you, everybody automatically goes to Bathsheba. The world loves darkness. That's exactly, exactly. Right. So can you be too careful? <laughs> you can be to the point where you shut everybody out, where you isolate yourself from the world. You know, you isolate yourself from everybody. And Paul says, don't do that. He said, if that was the case, you know, if you had to, you'd have to leave the world to, to get away from it all. But, but our walk with the Lord should be so pure and so straight and so honest that the world can't say anything to malign the gospel um we'll pick this up next week bring this paper back with you next week if you want to look it over because there's uh there's some important um passages on here and bring your discussion next week as well thank you guys